Let's open our Bibles, John chapter number 9. John chapter number 9. What a blessing it is to be in the house of the Lord with you today. And uh, I trust that you've come with a heart open to the truth of the Word of God. I'll tell you this, if our heart's not open to the Word of God, we won't get anything out of it. Amen. And uh, I wish I could just take this Bible and beat you with it and you understand the truth, but uh, multiple experiences and lawsuits have proven that cannot happen. We've got to have our hearts open to the truth of the Word of God, but I trust that you've come with that spirit and that attitude and that purpose today. John chapter number 9, I'd like to begin reading in verse number 1. John chapter number 9, verse number 1. The Word of God says this, And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay and said unto him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. He went his way, therefore, and washed and came seen. We'll stop there and pray. Father, we love you this morning. What a blessing to be in this place. I pray that you take the word of God, use it in our hearts and our minds. I pray that each and every person here, that their life would be touched and affected by the word of God. That they not just come as spectators, Lord, but... Uh, that they would come and be participators in this process. Lord, worshipers, for those that know you, Lord, and, and ardent listeners, for those that do not know you, they can leave this place as worshipers. They can, like this man, come blind but go away seeing. And I pray that that would be accomplished today and that you'd be glorified. Lord, we love you. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. When we approach John chapter number 9, we uh, happen upon a series of chapters in which the Lord is disclosing things about himself and his power. And I was thinking about this as I was praying through and studying through the book of John. You know, every chapter in the book of John teaches us something about the Lord and who he is and what he can do for a lost man. The purpose of the book of John is uh, it was written to convince sinners of the Savior, to show them that he is a Savior. In fact, he's not just a Savior, he's the Savior. To show them that they are sinners in need of a Savior. And so when you come to chapter number 1, we learn that He's the Lamb of God. That's what John said. Behold the Lamb of God, which take away the sin of the world. When we come to chapter 2, you know what we find out? That He can remake things. He takes that water and turns it into wine. When we come to chapter 3, we learn He can regenerate people. That He can give them new life in Christ Jesus. That they can be born again into the family of God. When we come to chapter 4, we learn that He can reach anybody. He can even reach out to that Samaritan woman by, uh, by the well, that woman who was disdained and loathed by society and, and unloved and had a broken life. When we come to chapter number 5, we learn that he can raise people up. He finds that man there by the sheep market uh, who had laid there for 38 years in his brokenness and he raises him up with the power of his word. We find in chapter number 6, he's the ultimate resource. He is the bread of life that is broken to feed and sustain us. When we come to chapter number 7, we learn that he is the refreshing spirit and water of life that we can come unto him and drink. Uh, when we come to chapter number 8, we find that he is the redeemer, the deliverer, the pardoner. He looks at that woman that was caught in adultery and he says, neither do I condemn thee, go and sin no more. And when we come to chapter number 9, we find that he is the revealing savior. So what do you mean, preacher? Well, he's the one that takes the blindness off of our eyes and lets us see the world as it really is. 
when we come to this chapter and look at this man and his healing, this miracle that takes place, there's a thought that occurs to me. And I, this is going to be a little different for me. It might be a little clumsy and awkward in the way I preach it. But before I even give you the title of my message, I want to preach about a third of it. Amen. Now, that don't mean I've already preached a third of it, so don't get excited. But I mean, I just want to take a moment. and We're going to look at three thoughts out of this chapter. I want you to notice first off with me the miraculous meeting with the Savior that this man has. Verse number one says this, as Jesus passed by. Aren't you thankful he passed by one day? I tell you what's really amazing is if you were to go back to chapter number 8, you would find out there's a reason John says it that way. Because at the close of chapter number 8, the Pharisees in the temple are seeking to kill the Lord Jesus. They're seeking to apprehend Him, to take Him, and to kill Him. And the Bible says that He passed by the multitude of them. And then chapter 9 picks up and says, hey... As he passed by, he just happened to see this blind man that had been blind from his birth. Aren't you glad the Lord loves us enough that even when he was fleeing for his life in that moment, he took the presence of mind and the time to stop and reach somebody that was lost and undone? Hey, God's not too busy to save anybody. No matter what he's got going on. You say, oh, preacher, God wouldn't take mind of me. Hey, the psalmist says, oh, what is man that thou art mindful of him? But God knoweth our frame. He has taken mind of us. So Jesus is passing by and he sees this man. And I may just stand up here and say a bunch of stuff for about three hours. I don't know. Aren't you glad when this man couldn't see him that he could see this man? This man's blind. He don't know where to look for Jesus. He doesn't know what to look for in Jesus. But I'm glad Jesus saw him. Hey, when I was lost and undone, I didn't know what to look for. I mean, I had been taught the gospel. I had been taught the word of God. But I mean, I didn't have sense enough to know. I don't guess I still have sense enough to know. But though I could not see him, he saw me. The Bible says he saw a man. But he's not just any man. He's a man that was blind from his birth. This is a man that has never known what it looks like to gaze upon a sunrise or a sunset. This is a man that if you describe the color to him, it would be completely foreign language. He wouldn't understand what you're talking about. This is a man that has only and forever known darkness and nothing else. Hey, if that ain't a picture of a lost sinner, I don't know what is. Uh, the sinner doesn't even know what life is. Now, when I say the sinner, I don't mean abjectly immoral people, although it is immoral to be a sinner, but I mean a lost person. When someone's lost, they don't even know what life really looks like. And so this man, he doesn't even know what life looks like, but the Lord speaks to him. I'm glad when we can't see him, we can still hear his voice. So the Lord speaks to him, but the Bible says when they come by this man, that his disciples asked him a question. They said, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind. Now, I want you to notice, number one with me, the Savior's proclamation here. They ask a question that is based upon a flawed opinion and idea about sin and its effects on humanity. Now, there's still people today that have this idea that if a person is sick, it must be because they have no faith. If they're sick, it must be because they have sin in their life. If they're sick, it must be the punishment of God in their life. Now, let me tell you something. God sometimes will use uh, poor health. God will use sickness. God will use things like that to chasten a believer. But let me tell you something. You don't have to be living wrong for your body to be broke down. I ought to get a good hearty amen on that. Especially after that tea last night, amen? And so they asked this question, who did sin? Where's the problem here? Where's the brokenness here? But man, I'm glad they were looking for brokenness and the Lord saw a blessing. Look at verse 3. Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. 
What a sublime reply that is from the Savior. Now, let me just say this. I think it can be taken and understood that the Lord is not claiming they had never sinned. But what He is saying here is the purpose of this man's brokenness is not condemnation. The purpose is redemption. Can I say this? The purpose of mankind's brokenness is not condemnation, it's redemption. When God allowed man to sin in the garden, it wasn't because He hated man and wanted to cast him into a hell that wasn't even prepared for him. The reason God allowed man to sin in the garden was not so that He could condemn him, but so that through Christ, man might be saved. Had mankind lived in a forever innocent and eternal state, he would have been God's creature, but he never would have been God's child. Aren't you thankful that the Lord, even through the brokenness of man's sin and disobedience, that He brought forth a Savior that could save mankind and could make him not just a creature, not just a product, but a child of God with privilege, with standing, with a relationship with the Lord. The Lord makes this amazing proclamation and says, This didn't happen because God is angry at this man. This happened because God has a plan for this man's life. And let me say in your life, hey, the the bad things that happen to you, they're not happening because God's sitting up in heaven pouting and throwing thunderbolts at you. Uh, They're happening because God's trying to move in your heart and in your life. He's got a plan for you. He loves you. He's interested in you. He wants to save you and transform your life and make your life something beautiful and meaningful for the cause of Christ. So they make this flawed assumption. Well, this man must be blind because somebody messed up. Well, if you're going to blame it on somebody, I guess blame it on Adam. But the Lord Jesus is not interested in that. He's interested in seeing this man's life transformed. And then the Lord says this, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. Here's what he's saying. He's saying there's time to save this man. Can I remind you this morning, hey, if you're here lost and undone, there's time for you to get saved. Right now is the day. Hey, the Bible says today's the day of salvation. Uh, Not yesterday, it's past. Not tomorrow, it, it may never come. But today is the day of salvation. So we see the Savior's proclamation here. And what He says is, yes, this man is blind. Yes, this man is broken. Yes, this man is helpless and hopeless. But I can save him. I can change him. And I'm here right now present in this moment to change his life. Boy, what a beautiful picture. The message is still the same today. You may be broken, you may be lost, you may be on your way to hell, but you don't have to stay that way because there's a Savior present here that can save you if you'll cry out to Him. So I see the Savior's proclamation. But then I see the Savior's process. Verse number 6. When He had thus spoken, He spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. Now I'll go ahead and admit to you readily, there are more questions that you've got about this than answers that I've got for you. There's probably a thousand things you're wondering. Well, preacher, why did he have to do it this way? Well, preacher, what does the spit represent? Uh, what does, I can tell you, if somebody spits at you, it means something. I don't know what it means in this passage. I, I, what does the spit mean, preacher? What does the dirt mean, preacher? What does it mean when he mixed it together? And you and I, we could plumb the depths of typology and all those fun things to do. But can I just make a simple comment about this? Hey, here was the Savior's process. This man was blind. He was blind whether there was clay on his eyes or wanting clay on his eyes. But here's the problem. Though he was blind and though men had told him he was blind, he did not sense his own blindness. You say, how do you know that, preacher? Because that's all he had ever known. Uh, uh, let me ask you the age-old intro to philosophy question that uh, all those brain-dead professors are going to ask you when you go have to take philosophy to get your engineering degree. Uh, they're going to say, well, how do you know you're not just a brain in a jar somewhere on a shelf? That's a good time to smack them right across the jaw. 
Say, would a brain in a jar be able to smack you like that? (laughs) But I will say this, there's a parallel here. If a man's only ever known darkness, how does he know there's anything but darkness? Hey, a lost sinner, I mean, men can tell him. And this, by the way, is the fundamental challenge that we're facing in reaching people with the gospel. My pastor used to say it this way, it's not hard to get them saved, but it's hard to get them lost. Hard to show them that they're lost and undone and convince them that there is a life beyond that darkness that they only and forever have lived in. And this man, he he was blind whether the clay was on his eyes or not. You see, here's the thing. If I put clay on your eyes or my eyes, that would blind us. What was the Savior doing? He was giving him a sense, a comprehension, a feeling of his blindness. He was making him understand, you're blind already, but you don't know it. But now you're going to feel your blindness because only when you feel your blindness will you seek to have your eyes open. Amen. What a beautiful thing. What a beautiful picture that the Lord does in the life of a sinner. A sinner's blind, but he doesn't know it. But what does the Holy Ghost do? And I love the usage of the word. The Bible don't just say He smeared the clay on. The Bible don't just say He put the clay on. The Bible says He anointed Him with clay. You know, the word anointed is connected with the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not saying the Holy Spirit applied this necessarily to this man descriptively, but I am saying there's a picture of what the Lord does when He saves a man. You can be told all day long that you're lost, but you know when it gets real is when the Holy Ghost of God tells you. Listen, I I was told my whole life growing up that I was lost, that I was a sinner, that I need to be saved. When I was 10 years old, the Holy Ghost spoke to me and said, you know, Toby, that's true. You died in your sins. You'd die and go to hell. And I believed what he said. I listened to what he said. I was convinced, hey, the clay was put on my eyes. And I was shown my own blindness. I'm glad the Lord doesn't blind us to leave us in that situation. Notice the Savior's power here. So he takes this clay, puts it on the man's eyes. Then verse 7, he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. I don't want to get in the weeds here. What a beautiful thing that this place is called the pool of Siloam or the pool of sin. You know why? Because the moment a person gets up from those waters, he's sent out commission of God to go and tell others what the Savior has done for him. Hey, when you got born again, you got enlisted into the gospel cause to share the gospel with all those. So he sends him to the pool of Siloam, and he went his way, therefore, and washed and came see. Man, look at the Savior's power there. He can take a man that has never seen and cause him to see. This is not a man with temporary blindness. And by the way, they will later on emphasize in the discussions that take place in the rest of the chapter what a proprietary, unique thing this was uh, that this man who had been blind from his birth had his eyesight restored. It never happened before that a man blind from his birth could be made to see. Hey, the Lord, He deals in first-time occurrences. He raised a man that had been dead for four days. It had never happened before. His name was Lazarus. He, he heals this man. We don't know his name, but he's born blind. Nobody had ever been born blind and been healed of it, but the Lord Jesus did it. You say, preacher, I know God can save other folks. I just don't know if he can save me. Hey, if he can save me, he can save you. Uh, there ain't nobody that he can't if you'll come to him and be willing to let him put the clay on your eyes, be willing to admit your lost condition that he can't save. So we see the Savior's power. And now this leads me to an interesting thought. The Bible tells us that the Lord Jesus, here's this man, he's blind from his birth. He can't see the Lord. The Lord takes this clay and puts on his eyes. He still can't see the Lord. He goes to the pool of Siloam, but the Bible does not say that the Lord went with him, but he said to him, go wash. He sent him away. So this man goes and he washes in the pool of Siloam. 
Now, this man gets up and he can see all kinds of things. He can see the birds for the first time. He can see the sun for the first time. He can see the grass growing on the side of the hill. He knows everything has changed. Everything is different. His life will never again be the same as what it used to be. He can see everything. But he's still not seen Him. He's still not seen the Lord. This man has healed him, has transformed his life. The Lord Jesus at this stage in this man's life is the most important person in the world to him. And yet he's still never seen him. wonder what that would do to a man's life. Reminds me of something that Peter says in the book of 1 Peter. Can I read it to you? The Bible says this in 1 Peter chapter number 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Now listen to verse 8. Whom having not seen, ye love. In whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable, and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your soul. So Peter says this, hey, we've never seen him, but that don't stop us from loving him. And when we read about this man in John chapter number 9, we see a man who has never seen him. He's never laid eyes on the Lord Jesus, and yet he loves him deeply. He treasures him, cherishes him. He is precious to him. And the remainder of the chapter is occupied with the way this man responds to being in this situation. I want to preach to you on this thought this morning. Whom having not seen, he loved. When we look at how this man responds, we can tell that he loves the Lord Jesus. Now, he's never seen the Lord Jesus, but he doesn't have to see Him to love Him. And can I remind you, hey, you and I as born-again believers living in this day of grace, we have never seen Him. That ought not stop us from loving Him. You say, preacher, I know I love the Lord Jesus. I do love the Lord Jesus. Well, I wonder if we look at the way this man loved the Lord and look at the way we love the Lord, I wonder if it's going to match up. In other words, I wonder if this man, whom having not seen the Lord Jesus loved him, I wonder if his life looks like our life. Now, I told you I'd preach the first third of my message. We looked at his miraculous meeting with the Savior. But now I want you to notice with me his dogged devotion to the Savior. You say, preacher, what happens after this? This man goes back, everybody pats him on the back, shakes his hand, he gets baptized, joins the church, they have dinner on the grounds. No, I'm sorry, that's not how it went. Instead, for a Jew receiving Christ, being born again at this time, his entire life was turned upside down. Things didn't get easier for him as far as uh, society's uh, treatment of him, but rather things got more difficult. And we find two things that tell us in the way he responded that he loved the Lord, that he loved the Lord more than anything else in his life. Now I would remind you, all of this is happening in the proximity of the temple. The Pharisees are close at hand. The worshipers that have come to offer sacrifices are close at hand. The masses of people are there. 
It is a busy scene. And in fact, much of this has taken place uh, without people watching, observing. Lord Jesus has been sort of uh, spiriting away, leaving out of this place, and He heals this man. But you know, it don't take long. When a man's been blind his whole life and sat at the temple begging, and all of a sudden you see him walking down the road, bending down to tie his shoes, pointing people out and waving at him, it don't take long to say something has happened. Something has changed. Can I just make this statement? I'm going to either way. I don't even know why I ask. I'm going to make this statement. God saved your soul. It won't take long. People will see some changes. Now, I'm not saying you're never going to make a mistake. I'm not saying you're never going to backslide. I'm not saying that uh, there won't be some things you have to battle with in your life. But I'm saying, hey, a man that was blind and now can see, you can tell that something changed. When a man gets saved, you'll see something in his life. You'll see a change take place. And so word begins to spread that this man has been healed. And people begin to come to him and ask you, hey, what has happened to you? What has taken place? How has this changed? How has this happened in your life? And I want you to notice first off with me this morning, his bold confession. If a man loves the Lord, he's not going to be ashamed of him. He's going to tell folks about him. He's going to be bold in proclaiming him. And we find that this man was bold. Look at verse number 8 with me. The Bible says the neighbors, therefore. Now, who are the neighbors? These are people that know him. Uh, they have lived in close proximity to him. They know him. They had seen him before. In fact, that's what it says. The neighbors, therefore, and they which before had seen him that was blind said, Is not this he that sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He's like him. But he said, I am he. Verse 10, Therefore said they unto him, How were thine eyes open? He answered and said, A man that is... A man that is called Jesus. I don't know if I can get through it. A man that is called Jesus made clay and anointed mine eyes and said unto me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And I went and washed and I received sight. It's as absurd as it is beautiful, isn't it? It's as strange as it is precious. And it's no different than your testimony if you got saved. A man that is called Jesus. Here's what happened. His friends came around and said, what's happened to you? He said, I'll tell you what happened to me. Jesus happened to me. He came and he found me and he changed my life and he transformed me. I tell you, if you really love him, you're not going to be embarrassed or ashamed to proclaim to those that know you that he's the one that has changed your life. I think very often it is the people closest to us that we are most hesitant to talk to about the gospel. We don't want to burn bridges. We don't want to sour relationships. But I'm just going to tell you this, if you've had done in your life what this man had done in his life, then you're going to want those people you care the most about to have him do the same thing in their life that he did in your life. Uh, he was bold. He made bold confession to his neighbors. They came and said, hey, what's happened to you? And, and listen, we are called to go out to share the gospel. We are sent to reach people. But I'll say there's going to be, if you live a different life, there'll be some people come to you. There'll be people that knew you before this happened to you that'll come to you and say, hey, what's going on in your life? How have you changed? What has happened in you? And he didn't hide it. He wasn't ashamed of it. He said, I'll tell you exactly what happened. Jesus happened to me. He saved me. He changed my life. He's the reason that I am what I am today. He saved me and transformed me. So he made bold confession to the neighbors. Then verse 13 says this, they brought to, uh, uh, to the Pharisees him that aforetime was blind. And it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then again, the Pharisees also asked him how he'd received his sight. And he said unto them, he put clay upon mine eyes and I washed and do see. Hey, man, I love that. I, I don't know if we'll get all this preached because I just keep having to stop and say, man, I love that. Uh, you say, preacher, I don't know if I can share the gospel. Well, can you do what this man did? Hey, he put clay on mine eyes. I washed and I do see. 
who showed me I was blind. He showed me how to believe on him. And now everything's changed. Uh, you don't have to have a, theolo- a theology degree. Uh, you don't have to be able to sound and plumb the depths of all the theological mystery. Here's what you need to be able to do is you need to be able to go and say, there's a lot of things I don't know, but this I know. I once was blind. Now I see God changed my life. And here's how it happened. I believed on the Lord Jesus and I asked him to forgive me and save me. And he changed my life. What a beautiful, simple testimony this is. Now, here's what happened. The Pharisees said, glory, hallelujah. Welcome, brother. We're so excited that you got born again. That's not what happened. You already know that's not what happened. Therefore, verse 16 said some of the Pharisees, This man is not of God because he keepeth not the Sabbath day. That's hard not to chuckle at that. Here's a man who's blind. Now he can see. And they want to say, He's not of God. He did it on, on a Saturday. I Listen, I hope he saves you on a Saturday or a Monday or a Tuesday or a Wednesday or a Friday or even this Sunday if you're lost. Others said, how can a man that is a sinner do such miracles? And there was a division among them. They say unto the blind man again, what sayest thou of him that he hath opened thine eyes? Now, this is an interesting exchange. I'll tell you why. This is not a a question asked in good faith. They already know the answer to this. So this is the top question. Uh, Do you want to revise your answer, Mr. Blind Man? Do you want to think again about what you said? We just proclaimed him a Sabbath breaker and a sinner. Now what do you have to say about him? Here's what he said. (laughs) He said, he's a prophet. Now listen, before we get all hung up on the fact that he said prophet, not son of God or Messiah or Christ, this man's never even seen Jesus. There's a lot he does not know about him. But he's saying best as he knows how. He's from. They said, he's not from God, he broke the Sabbath. He said, oh, no, I'm sorry, he is from God because he opened my eyes. We see his bold confession to the neighbors, but not only that, to the naysayers. Ain't everybody going to be thrilled that you got born again. There's going to be people in your life that don't like it. There's going to be people in your family that don't like it. And some of y'all may even today be struggling with that reality. You have friends, you have coworkers, you have family members. Uh, you have people in your life and they don't understand what has happened. And you'll even have people that will make it their personal mission to try to shake your faith. Uh, Just as these men did, they wanted to see if they could get him to recant, to revise, to back up on what he said. But here's the thing, man, when you've been blind and now you can see, you just don't give a rip what other people think. Uh, I mean, Jesus had healed him. What a shameful thing it would have been for him to say, well, I don't know, I'm not sure who and what he was. He knew who and what he was. He knew that he was God. He knew that he was from God. He knew that he was a prophet. He knew that he was God's servant. So here's what he did, man. He just leaned into it. I, I, I don't I, I don't have no better advice to give you than this this morning. There's going to be people don't like it. Preacher, what do I do? Just go ahead and lean into it. There ain't nothing that you're going to be able to say that's going to please the Lord Jesus that would satisfy them anyway. Now, I'm not saying you need to be caustic or rude or unkind. I'm not saying, saying that you need to turn offense into an Olympic sport. But I am saying this. You might as well grow comfortable with the fact that the world hates Jesus. If Jesus is in you, the world's going to hate the fact that Jesus is in you. And there's nothing you can do. There's no amount of capitulation, concessions you can make. There's no amount of compromise you can do that they're ever going to be happy and the Lord be pleased with your life. So this man, he loved the Lord enough that he said, I don't care if there's folks that don't like him. I love him because he gave me my sight. I would say by his bold confession, we can tell that he loves the Lord. Then there's a second thing. Not only by his bold confession, but by his broken connections, we can tell 
that he loved the Lord. You say, what do you mean, preacher? Well, look at verse 18 with me. The Bible says this, but the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him that had received his sight. They tried to explain away by saying, well, this is some, some charlatan, some, some carnival trick. He was never really blind in the first place. And verse 19 says they, they called his parents and, and they asked them saying, is this your son who ye say was born blind? How then doth he now see? His parents answered them and said, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But by what means he now seeth, we know not. Now that's a lie. <laughs> They're standing there. They knew what had happened. Uh, but they don't have the courage to admit it. He say, they say, but by what means he now seeth, we know not. Or who hath opened it up, his eyes, we know not. He is of age, ask him. He shall speak for himself. These words spake his parents because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if any man did confess that he was Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue. Therefore said his parents, he is of age. Ask him. Now let me pause right here. We'll read on in a moment. Here's what they did. They hung him out to dry. They put him out on that limb and they started sawing. They said, you want to wreck your life? You go ahead and wreck your life, but you ain't going to drag us along with you. I don't know if I can really describe aptly the strange situations I've heard people, especially people get born again and they're trying to reach their family. And they look at their family and their family is just a teetotal mess. I mean, brokenness, heartache, sorrow, chaos all around. And here they come along saying, hey, you know, God saved me and God can do that for you. And it's amazing how rapidly some people in their brokenness will defend their own brokenness. I, I mean, uh, say uh, they'll say any and everything about you. They'll criticize you. They'll slander you. They'll even say, you're the reason we have problems in our family. Like, yeah, it's going to church. It's really tearing things all to pieces. And this man, his family just completely abandoned him. Now, you would have thought a mom and a daddy, they would have said, now, listen, we don't understand everything that happened, but we believe our son, and if this man could heal our... I mean, hey, think about it as a parent. Uh, this boy has never seen daylight, and the Lord Jesus has come along and done for this child, done for this young man, what his parents never could do or never could hope to do. Hey, parents, let me tell you something. You better love Jesus because he can do things for your kids that you can't do for your kids. Uh, you can give them a good home. You can put a roof over their head. You can try to send them to college, whatever that's worth. You can try to do something to give them some kind of life, but you can't save their soul. Only Jesus can do that. You would have thought these people would love Jesus. You would have thought they would have said, oh, I don't know who he is, but I sure want to know him. He can save my boy. I want to know him. But instead, they start getting thinking about what it's going to cost them. And so they hang him out to dry. They say, well, you know, we don't, why don't you just ask him? This was their way effectively of saying, son, we love you. You're on your own. I'll tell you how most people would have responded that didn't know Jesus. Most people would have said, blood's thicker than water. Uh, my family, I got to stick with my family no matter what happens. And, and if they're, if they made this decision that they're not going to leave the synagogue, they're not going to walk away from this life, then I'm just going to have to stick with them. But here's the problem now. Here's the problem with that. That's all good and well when you're talking about your favorite preacher. That's all good and well when you're talking about your favorite televangelist snake oil salesman. That's all good and well when you're talking about your favorite sports team. But now this man, he's talking about the Savior of the world, the one that took away his blindness, the one that opened the world to him, and he just, he just can't bring himself to. The Bible says, verse 24, Then again called they the man that was blind and said unto him, Give God the praise. Uh, that's how religious people talk. Give God the praise. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered and said, whether it be a sinner or no, I know not. One thing I know, whereas I was blind, now I see. Now, it's easy to take issue with the way this man says it when he says, whether it be a sinner or no. 
But this man, he is, he is building something upon a foundation here. Later on, he's going to say in no uncertain terms, we know this man's not a sinner because he couldn't have done the things that he did if he had been a sinner. But in this moment, here's what he does. He strips all that away and he says, listen, I'm not interested in arguing with you. Here's what I do know. I was broken and now I'm whole. I was blind and now I see. I was lost and now I'm saved. And if that's not enough to make me side with him, then nothing ever would. Listen, if him saving you is not enough to make you stand for him, then probably nothing ever would. Coward to the bone. God hates a coward. If him saving you, saving your soul, transforming you is not enough to make you say, yeah, I'll stand for him then I don't know whatever would be. I see this man's broken connections, and in that, in that short answer, whether he be a sinner or no, I know not, not interested in a the theological argument, look at him. That's what he says. Y'all, y'all went, thought you was in trouble. Every one of y'all is writing notes right now, I can tell, because you just jerked up with He says, I, I'm not going to argue with you. He says, just look at my life. Look at me. Look at the testimony of my life. And tell me whether this man's of God or not. He says, I'm not going to argue with you. And in that short, simple explanation, in that short, simple proclamation, he severed himself from his family. Later on, we'll say a word about in a moment, he's cast out of the synagogue. And that don't just mean they grabbed him by the scruff of his neck and threw him out. It means they, they exiled him. They, they, they uh, banned him from the synagogue. As far as we know, his family's still in in fact, I would venture this guess, his family responding this way, they probably were the better in their position in the synagogue for him. So why is that, preacher? Because they were willing to throw their son under the bus to show their devotion to the Jewish religion. This man, he's cast out, and he says, if I've got to separate from my family, that's what I've got to do. Now listen, family's ordained of God. Uh, there are some things in your life, your family, you're given one family. You don't get to pick them. Amen? you got the ones God give you. And you ought to love them and you ought to be there for them best as you can. But if you ever find yourself in a place where it's either Christ or them, you're saved by the grace of God. There should be no choice. It's settled. The psalmist said this, hey, when my mother and father forsake me, the Lord will take me up. He'll pick me up. When everybody else lets me down, He'll take me up. I can't promise, hey, the Lord will never let you down. But if He did, I can't promise your parents would pick you up. But I can promise you this, if your parents let you down, he'll pick you up, no matter who lets you down. So we see this broken connection to his family. And then verse 26, I love this. This, I, I, this is probably my favorite part of the chapter. The Bible says, then said they to him again, what did he to thee? How opened he thine eyes? Boy, they're just another turn or two on those thumb screws. That's what they're doing there. They're saying, are you sure now? You know you're going to lose your family. Are you sure now? You know you're going to lose your life. Are you sure now? I mean, listen. What did he have in the first place? I can't get past this. What did he have in the first place? What are you going to compare to Jesus? He said he is a blind beggar. The Bible says he sat there and begged. I don't know what his family was doing for him before, but they sure enough wasn't feeding him because he was sitting there begging. Uh, they weren't doing nothing for him before, and now they want to come. Are you sure you want to give all this up? <laughs> Some of y'all said, you're telling me if I get born again, my family will leave me alone? Pile up carpet getting to that altar. <laughs> but here's what the devil does. He comes, are you going to give up all this? Hey, listen, in that moment, he can make some things sound convincing. But can I remember, can I remind you, you, you ain't giving nothing up that you need when you come to Jesus. And you're certainly not giving up anything that compares to him. He said, you sure you want to do this? And they asked him again, what did he to thee? How open he thine eyes? 
I like his answer. He answered them, I've told you already, and you did not hear. Wherefore would you hear it again? Will ye also be his disciples? He gets, he gets a little smart aleck there, and I'm for it. I mean, he, he says, you keep asking, you're looking to get saved? I can show you how to get saved. That made him mad. Verse 28, then they reviled him, said, thou art his disciple. We are Moses' disciple. Uh, by the way, they were the ones that put that distinction. You notice that? They were the ones that said it's either Jesus or Moses. Even they knew. Oh, I'm going to say it again. Even they knew. They said, thou art, thou art his disciple. But we are Moses' disciple. We're of a different group. He says, we know that God spake unto Moses. As for this fellow, we know not from whence he is. The man answered and said unto them, I love this man. Answered and said unto them, why, herein is a marvelous thing that ye know not from whence he is, and yet he hath opened mine eyes. And we know that God heareth not sinners. But if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. Since the world began, it was not heard, was it not heard that any man hath opened the eyes of one that was born blind? This man were not of God, he could do nothing. <laughs> you just, listen, you can't buy that kind of common sense. And you know they had to run all over them. I mean, he looks at them and he says, why? What a miracle has took place. You don't know where he's from? He opened my eyes. Who but God could do that? Uh, you know what he does? I'm just going to say it again. He just leans into it. He doesn't, he doesn't try to parse words. He doesn't try to be diplomatic. Now again, I'm not saying we need to be rude or unkind, and he's not rude or unkind, but he allows the absurdity of their claim to just marinate for a moment. He says, you understand what you're saying? He just, he goes ahead and leans into it. I get the feeling this guy, nobody ever bought him a copy of how to make friends and influence people. I mean, somehow he missed that stocking stuffer. And he just says, you know what? I know who he is. Not only do I know who he is, you know who he is. So why don't we quit this nonsense and you just go ahead and admit that he did something that only God could do. And revival breaks out of the synagogue. People get born again. Verse 34, they answered and said unto him, Thou wast altogether born in sins. Dost thou teach us? And they cast him out. Boy, I tell you. And, and, and listen, I know there, there's biblical definition of religion. Pure religion undefiled is this. I, I understand that. Keep self unspotted from the world. Take care of the widows and the, and, and the father. But let me tell you something. Religion as a human institution, this, this is religion at its ugliest. This is where religion's going to take you if you're without Christ. This is where religion, I'm not talking about Bible Christianity, but I'm talking about human religion. This is where human religion is going to take you. There's going to come a point you're going to ask the wrong question. And when you do, it's going to turn on you like a rabid dog. And you're going to find out it ain't about you. It's about itself. That's all it's about. Building the following, filling the coffers, building bigger buildings and bigger monuments and bigger tombs to their kings and popes. And you're going to find out it wasn't about you after all. He asked the, the wrong question. And that question was simply this. Hey, who got it done? Jesus got it done. If he got it done, he must be the one. I'll tell you something, all this nonsense talking about an eclectic survey and overview of world religions and diversity of thought and all these. Let me just pull this down. Who gets the job done? Muhammad don't get the job done. Mary Baker Eddy don't get the job done. Right? Joseph Smith don't get the job done. Uh, listen, the, 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 I can't remember her name. Ellen White, she don't get the job done. 
Who got the job done? Jesus got the job done. Who rose from the dead? He rose from the dead. Who saves a man's soul? He saves a man's soul. Who opens blinded eyes? He opens blinded eyes. I think I'll just go with him. They cast him out. He says, good riddance. I was done with your dead religion anyway. And he leaves. Here's what we see. We see a broken connection to his family. Number two, we see a broken connection to his faith. He leaves behind everything that doesn't want Jesus. And that includes his religion. The religion he was born, raised in. I mean, he spent every day of his life in this temple. The Bible says he was blind and he sat there and begged. So much so that he was a fixture. People knew who he was. Evidently, he had some devotion to the Jews' religion prior to this. But he comes to a place where they say, now, son, you're going to have to choose. It's either us or Jesus. He says, that's no choice at all. He opened my eyes. And he walks away from everything that he once knew. I, listen, I hope, and I mean this genuinely, when a person gets born again, I hope there's a lot of, of I hope your, your past experience, I hope that your life has been so infused and insulated with biblical culture and concept that there's not a lot that you have to throw away. I hope you've been raised in a Bible home. I hope you've been raised with biblical values. But the reality is this. When you get born again, there's going to be some things you're going to have to walk away from. There's going to be some things you're going to have to leave behind because they're not of Christ and they don't please Him and they're not from Him and they're not of Him. And the world is going to make you choose. You say, preacher, I don't want to choose. How dare God make me choose? It ain't God making you choose. Hey, it was the Jews that said, thou art His disciple. We are Moses' disciple. They put the distinction. You say, what would God say about that? God would say Moses was his disciple. But the world put that distinction there and said, you're going to have to choose. He said, it's no choice at all. And he walked away. I wonder what we're willing to walk away from. I would say this, our devotion to Christ is far and more measured by what we will walk away from than it is by what we will walk through. How a man loves Christ is far more determined, not by the things he's willing to bear, but by the things he's willing to abandon. What in your life is competing with him? Competing for your heart, your affection, your devotion, your time. What in your heart and life is competing with him? I'll tell you this, if you love him the way he deserves to be loved, and I don't guess any of us really love him the way he ought to be, but if you love him the best you can, you'll be willing. If something puts itself between you and Christ, to say, I'm sorry, I choose Christ. I see this man's dogged devotion. He loved the Lord, and we see that. Now, how did the Lord respond to that? I just briefly want to notice this. Verse 35 says this, Jesus heard they had cast him out. When he had found him, he said unto him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord? I might believe on him. Wow. Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. So here's what we see. We see his miraculous meeting with the Savior. Then we see his dogged devotion to the Savior. And finally, we see his face-to-face with the Savior. The Lord didn't leave him out there wandering him. He came and found him. He didn't leave him out there just stumbling about, trying to find life. In fact, the moment everyone leaves him and abandons him, the moment they took and threw him out. Religion was done with him. Jesus was standing there waiting on him. And he came. Notice three things here. Number one, once you notice that he reached out to him, he found him. In that moment of discouragement, 
in that moment of shell shock. I mean, don't you imagine? This man is thinking again. And you can almost, I don't want to draw too close of a parallel here. There's a lot of differences. But you imagine this man, his parents have grown up in the synagogue. He has grown up in the synagogue. You imagine what it would feel like if the church you've grown up in your whole life. I'm talking about the people that watch you in the nursery, that change your diaper. I'm talking about the people that taught you in Sunday school, the people that loved you, the people that have been there. If every one of them said, all right, now you found this Jesus, we're done with you. Threw you out the back door. That's what this man's experiencing. He feels all alone, isolated, abandoned. And the Lord shows up just in that moment to remind him, I didn't save you just to abandon you. I'm here with you the whole way. Let me tell you something. You stand with him, he'll stand with you. He'll come out and he'll comfort you. And he'll give you the strength you need. There might be that briefest of moments where God lets you feel your deep and abiding need of him and feeling like you've been left alone. But it's not long. Hey, the old songwriter said, if you look in the shadows somewhere, you'll find Jesus standing there. And there's Jesus watching. And when he hears that this has happened, you know what that tells me? He hung around. (laughs) I'm glad we have a Savior that hangs around, aren't you? He didn't just save us and abandon us. Now, remember how chapter 8 ends. He's leaving, fleeing for his life, so to speak. But now he can't leave. You know why? Because he's he's done changed this man's life. He knows what's coming down the pipe for him. He says, I can't abandon him. And he stays close because he knows this man's going to need him. Hey, what a precious Savior that we have. He didn't just die on the cross and ascend up into heaven and say, all right, boys, you're on your own. Instead, he knit our hearts together through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And we have even now a high priest which can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. I see that he reached out to him. Man, I'm glad if we'll stand with the Lord, he won't make us stand alone. Paul said uh, of a time in his ministry that when no man stood with him, he said, yet the Lord stood with me. It might be nobody stands, he'll stand with you. I see he reached out to him. Then number two, I see he revealed himself to him. Verse 35, (laughs) he said unto him, dost thou believe on the Son of God? That's a loaded question. Dost thou believe on the Son of God? And he answered and said, who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? Jesus said unto him, thou hast both seen him, And it is he that talketh with thee. You know what this man learned? He had already believed on Jesus. But he didn't really understand who all Jesus was. He didn't realize what kind of Savior he got when he believed on the Lord Jesus. Can I tell you, I saved as a 10-year-old boy. I didn't know what kind of Savior I got. I knew I was lost. (laughs) I knew I was on my way to hell. I knew he could save me because he said he could. And I was willing to accept and believe that. But boy, my whole life ever since then, day by day, moment by moment, has been learning just what a Savior I got when He saved me. Hey, I've made a lot of decisions that I'm not smart enough for. I'm just going to be frank with you. I, I I wasn't smart enough to find myself pastoring this church, but God did that. I sure enough wasn't smart enough to marry this woman when I married her. And I did, and, and, and God has blessed me. And, 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 and I mean, on and on I could go, the friends I have and the choices I made. That I'm, I'm being honest. I'm too dumb to have made that good of decisions. I, I wouldn't have known to do it. But there's never been a decision in my life that I have been so unworthy of, and yet I have been so blessed with and through than the decision to believe on the Lord Jesus. I mean, I was just... a I was just a 10-year-old boy. I didn't know. What does a 10-year-old boy know about any of those things? I, I didn't know. I didn't know the things I'd go through. Oh, but he did. I didn't know the things I'd need, but he did. 
I didn't know my failures. I didn't know my greatest dreams. I didn't know any of those things. I just knew I was lost and I needed to be born again. And God of all glory, ever since then, every day, I've learned He's more than I ever knew He was. He reached out to him, but then He revealed Himself to him. He said, you stand with me, I'll show you who I am. I'll stand with you, I'll reveal to you more and more. Hey, you want to know Him more? Stand with Him. Stand with Him. And what I mean by that is this, don't be ashamed of Him. Be bold. Live your Christianity. And you'll find that He'll show Himself unto you. I see He revealed Himself to him. And then I love this. Verse 38, He said, Lord, I believe. And He worshipped Him. Now, they wouldn't, they wouldn't receive Him inside those doors. But He goes without the camp, bearing His reproach unto Jesus. And Jesus says, I'll take that worship. They may not want your worship in there anymore, but I'll sure enough take it out here. I see He received Him. He was pleased with His life. We've made this thing of serving God the grand glorious mystery. Oh, preacher, I don't know what I could do that I could ever please the Lord. Yeah, you do. It's a cop-out to say we don't know what to do because we really just don't want to do what we know to do. But this thing of serving the Lord is pretty simple. You say, preacher, do you do it flawlessly? Nope, not even for a half a moment I don't. But I'm glad that God in His grace, He, he has already, He wanted perfection and He got it in Jesus. Here's what He's looking for in us, obedience. Obedience. This man, he stands with and for Jesus. And the Lord says, I'm pleased with that. So I wonder if you love him. I know you've never seen him. But hey, that shouldn't stop you from loving him. And if you love him, I think you'll love him and live for him the way this man did. Let's bow together this morning. As a musician comes to play, the altar's open. Do you love him? Well, I know we'd all say we do. And, and I, I take I, I take it to word that you do. But I wonder if you'd be willing to search your life Search your heart, search your spirit, and say, are there maybe some areas where I've not loved him the way I should, where I've not been as devoted to him as I should, where I've not done for him as I should? Are there some areas where I've let the world cow me and bully me into not taking a stand? Are there some areas in my life where I've let my flesh get the upper hand and I've, I've yielded it, I've let it master me instead of the master that I know and love and have pledged to serve? Why don't you come and just refresh and renew that resolve to him today? You, you can come to him and you can say, Now, Lord, I've messed up. I've made these mistakes. And I'm sorry, God, there was no excuse for it. But I'm coming to you because I want to get it right. And I want to do right. So, God, I'm coming and I'm asking you to forgive me and to help me to live right, to do right, and to serve you in the right way. Father, I pray that you bless this invitation. We ask it in Jesus' name.